Hello, and we're live. I'm Rachel Barenbaum, author of the new novel, Atomic Anna. Welcome to my show, Debut Spotlight. I am so, so excited to have Zimmy Owens here today on the show for her debut memoir. Here it is, everybody, bookends. It's absolutely gorgeous. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I have to say that personally, I'm so excited to be here because Zibby was one of the very first people in the entire world to interview me for my very first book, A Bend oh. in the Stars. <laughs> and I was so excited when I we set up that interview and just what an honor to now have you on my show. So thank you, Zibby. Oh, thank you for having me, Rachel. You're so I'm awesome. So excited to be here. So for those of you who don't know Zibby, I can't believe there's some people who don't, but there are, <laughs> just in case. I'm going to read your bio, a little bit of a shortened version, because there is so much in there. Zibby Owens is the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Zibby named, was named New York City's most powerful bookfluencer by New York's magazine, Vulture. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I love it. Love it. Conducts warm, inquisitive conversations with authors, making her daily show a top literary podcast, absolutely, as selected by Oprah.com in 2019 and 2020. Zibby is the co-founder. All right, get ready for this list because it's amazing. And CEO of Zibby Books, a publishing home for fiction and memoir. She's also the CEO of Moms Don't Have Time To, a media company that includes Zcast Podcast Network, Zibby Awards, Zibby's Virtual Book Club, and two anthologies. A regular contributor to Good Morning America and Katie Couric Media, Zibby has also contributed to The Washington Post, Real Simple Parents, Marie Claire, Slate, and many other publications. She is a graduate. Ah, here we go. Her first children's book, Princess Charming, just came out. It's also super fun. Wait, we're going to see if, see it. Here it comes. There we go. Don't miss it. <laughs> She's a graduate of Yale University and Harvard Business School, and she lives in New York with her husband and four children with a book that is always nearby. Whew! Here comes one. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. So this is your beautiful, beautiful debut memoir. Tell me, tell us, my listeners, what is it about? What are you writing about? Well, it is a deeply personal story about many of life's unexpected plot twists. And that started at a young age when, and it also involves my love of reading, which courses through all the events in my life. And I highlight all the books that I was reading at all these pivotal moments. It covers everything from my parents' divorce to the loss of my best friend in 9-11, which was really the turning point of the rest of my life. Um, other subsequent losses, marriage, divorce, having kids and dealing with that and what it means to be a stay-at-home mom when you've been you know, on a different path for so long and suddenly you step back. And it's about falling in love again at 40 and dealing with friendships and food issues and family and books and careers <laughs> and basically just life. Um, nice. And the goal yeah. is to if I can do it, you know, anyone can do it. That's sort of the message. So <laughs> I love it. So, I mean, to be clear, right, for some people that aren't aware, you dig deep into depression, um, alcohol, right? There are all kinds of eating issues. There are all kinds of things happening that you have just peeled back, right, these layers and just laid yourself bare for the world to see. And really, I loved you summed it up as this book is about you finding your voice again. 
And you're yeah. hoping that, right, it's going to help other women, people out there also find our voices. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I, you know, for many years, I stopped writing. I was much more in the day-to-day of raising kids and um, getting through the day. And I did go through a lot of depression and um, anxiety, which I've had my whole life. But um, I kind of lost me, what made me me. And I mean, there's one scene in the book with with my brother where he's telling me, oh, actually, you know what? Maybe I cut that out. Um, well, there was one scene in my life um, where I, <laughs> I got together with my brother and I remember telling him that I couldn't remember the last time I had laughed. And- That's in the book. That's oh, it is. It is in the book. It okay, is there. This is crazy. It. I know. I don't even know anymore. I'm like, what do people know and what do they not know? But anyway, <laughs> um, it was not only did I find my own voice again, but in the last five years, really seven years, I've found this new version of me, kind of the one that was. Oh, I was always hoping to get out. Right? We have so many different versions of ourselves, and this is like my optimal version, the one that I never thought I would get to live. So I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah. But what I loved about your comment that um, this is about you finding your voice and helping other people find their voices is it seems to me, right, as the outsider looking in that everything you do is really about helping other people also, right? So it's it's like, I put myself out there, but also because I'm hoping it helps you maybe, but you're hoping to be helping other people too, right? And so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that commitment. All right. I I think that's why you have such a following. This is why Uh, people love you. I am trying to help other people. Um, It's because I realized how much when I share my stuff and I start small and sort of now, you know, I started when I was 14 sharing like little it's and bits of pieces when I gained some weight and shared an article in 17 magazine. And the response to that like set me on this whole path because I realized that when I was my most authentic and open, yes, it helped me process my feelings. But more than that, you know, at the time, Seventeen got all these letters and people thanking me and feeling less alone. And um, <clears throat> I have some line in the book about how I, I'm continuing to write for those same girls even now um, as we go through all this stuff, even like up to aging. Um, it makes me feel so good knowing that I can take the, the day-to-day stuff that happens to me and once I put it out there, I somehow it validates all the things that other people are going through and makes them open and then they share and then they feel better. And it's this like wonderful feedback loop. So I'm trying to help people emotionally. I'm, I'm tactically trying to help authors all the time um, with my podcast and I do seven episodes a week and everything. Um, So my mission and really everything is to help people live their best lives by connecting to books and to each other. And that's, and, and connecting to me is sort of part of that. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And also I think why people um, connect to you so much is because um, you live a life, I think of uh, great privilege and you talk about that in the book and you're just open about it. You don't try to hide it. Right. And you talk about how maybe there were times in your life when you did, but um, there's this one section in the book um, where you write, if anyone has it, if you're listening now, we're on page 144, just a quick paragraph. I'm going to read. And you write, um, but come on, how could I be sad when I was so lucky? How could I be depressed when I had beautiful twins, a home in the Hamptons, and such a life of privilege? Shouldn't I just shut up and be grateful? And then you write, unfortunately, depression doesn't work that way. And I think you point out there, right? There's someone who is showing us all that glitters is not gold. 
right? Yes. And you're just so open with that. So can you talk about, you know, how you put that out there? And, and is that hard to talk about that? It's really hard. That was probably the hardest part of the whole thing um, because it is something that I used to hide and not want people to know and was really relieved when I got married, could have another name or whatever. I'm really proud of my family. I should say that. And in the book, I explain how I became the beneficiary of, of privilege and that my I come from, um, you know, poor Hungarian, on my dad, on my mom's side, um, poor Hungarian Jewish immigrants. And on my mom's side, immigrants from Austria and um, and my mom, I have a Ukrainian like single mother story on my dad's side. Like nobody, it's not like I am coming from royalty here. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody was bootstrapping and working as hard as they can, using education, using books to climb their way up in the world, be able to provide for their families. And um, through a combination of luck and hard work and timing and intelligence and all the other things and opportunity, um, my grandfather on my mom's side and my father have been able to create businesses that have been very successful. So I, I am like, I look around and I'm like, well, that's amazing. You know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't just show up here, you know, so, um, right. I have internalized those values and I apply them every day in my own business. But I also know that I have this unique experience and that I have won this sort of birth lottery, if you will. And, um, you know, as they say, you know, with great, whatever it comes, great responsibility. And so um, I, I share that in the book to explain that this is, that I am the recipient of what happens after you achieve the American dream and that, uh, and that it doesn't, inculcate you from anything bad that happens. There is still yeah. loss. There is still grief and sadness and um, terrible things that happen and nothing protects you from that. And at our core, everyone, we are the same. We have the same feelings and that love connects us. Now this is sounding cheesy, but um, but I really <laughs> no. mean that. I really do. So. Yeah. And I love that you really talk about hard work. Right. I mean, you have worked so hard, right, to work through depression, to work through building your companies, right? At every point in your life, at being a mom, you work hard, right? You are not sitting back and popping bonbons. And that yes, is clear. Yes. Right. Um, but also you talked about this great responsibility. And I think it was in the book, but maybe in the acknowledgments, there's a section where you remember sitting down in Spangler with your dad, um, which is a cafeteria. <laughs> right. And I think you had this big talk with him about this responsibility that you were going to hold going forward. Yeah. And that was such a moving moment because it was it made clear that you're so aware of your place in this world and what you can do and so committed to doing something to make a difference. Um, and I just wanted to hear you, if you could talk about that moment, um, I would love to hear you, you know, sort of, if you don't mind. And it's stuff. just so funny because I have literally not talked about that moment to anyone ever. And then I put it in the book and then the book came out and now I'm fine. Now it turns out this is my first conversation about it with you here today. Uh, no, it's just so crazy that like memoir and writing and, um, yeah, it, no, that moment was really important because, I realized that I was, I mean, I always knew I was very lucky, but in that moment, I, um, I really understood like what my role was going to be and what I, what my, 
that I had the opportunity to make a difference in a lot of different ways. And that is the, I was at Harvard Business School at the time, and the mission is to create leaders who make a difference in the world. And I was like, okay, I have to, I am going to do that. Like I am going to live out this mission somehow. I don't know exactly what the path is going to be, but I'm going to use these combination of resources and hard work and everything else. And this sort of like deep sensitivity I have and like love of people and all of that. And I'm like, I'm, I don't know how it's all going to come together. In fact, I had just taken a class, um, like this career development class with like all these personality tests and it came out and I had all this data and I was like, okay, there is no job for me. Like <laughs> I, I, I see what I'm good at and I see what's available and there is no fit anywhere. I don't know. So as it turns out, like I've now, what, 20 years later have created this thing, but it, it did not exist before. So yes. Um, yes. I love that. I have to tell you that when I was at HBS also, I took that test yeah. and they called me in afterwards and they were like, so you said you want to be a writer. <laughs> right? Like, you know, you could pick neurosurgeon, you know, on a yeah. board, whatever. And they're like, so what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. So I know exactly what you're talking about that moment. But I will say there are a lot of us writers, readers, lovers of books coming out of HBS. And we are, you are at the forefront. We are changing that, right, stereotype, right? Writers need to be in business. I mean, um, when I was at business school, by the way, there was an operations class I was taking, and I don't know. I'm actually really interested in operations and stuff. Anyway, uh, they said writing is still a business, and you know, the product you're producing is words. So it is still some. It is still a business with a business plan. Like you still have to focus on it to market the books. And yes. I didn't realize then that I would eventually start a publishing company. But I was thinking it more as myself being a writer, want to be writer, um, but. It's, it's super useful to have that background. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I want to ask you, going back to the book itself, you put up some very clear barriers and you say in the beginning, also, you're not going to talk about your children or your first marriage or the divorce, right? And that part is just skipped through right there. So, but you share everything. So <laughs> like, how did you leave that out? How hard was it? Did you write that and just like delete it later? I mean, yep. so, I yes. wrote some of that. And deleted it later. I cut out okay. thirty thousand words um, okay. at the last minute. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Was I mean? Was that hard? <laughs> like, do you? It was, hard. it was like a two-day crash course surgical extraction. Um, yeah. But I liked that challenge. I don't know. I like a challenge. Um, but but most of it I just didn't write. I knew. But you know. Right. Right. But I, I think that's pretty amazing because I think memoirists often don't talk about or aren't very clear, like these are the, you know, I will not go past these lines. Right. And I thought you were very clear about it. And so we knew what we were getting. And yet you still were able to give us, I felt like you just opened your soul. <laughs> right. In any case. And well, just pulled us in. I mean, you can open your soul without sharing every detail of every period of time in your life. Yes. Right. I, I am I am sharing myself, but there's it's not just that. I mean, there's so many scenes. How could I possibly write them all? Um, right. But it's funny. I was sitting outside with my daughter, my 15 year old daughter the other day, and she's you know slowly making her way through the book. And, and she's like, wait, she's like, the book is so long and you didn't include anything about like 10 years of your life. And I was like, I know. <laughs> I was like, I have other stuff to say. It's not only right. about that period of time. So. Right. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my God. Okay. So I also am dying to ask you about the book, A Million Little Pieces and James Ray, because it comes up a bunch of times and it's kind it's a kind of a controversial book, right? And for those of you that don't know, it was written and published as memoir. And then it came out, I don't know how long after that actually a lot of it was in fact fiction, right? Very loosely based memoir. And the author was really, um, sort of taken down, let's say, and people didn't like the book. And yet you talk about how you still love that book. And I have to say that I really felt the same. Like that book held me in a way that very few books do, even if I think of it as fiction. Yep. But but what do you think about that? I just wanted to ask you, like, could you talk more about your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to embroil myself in controversial books all the time, but I- But it's fun. <laughs> and it's really there. You know, I I think it comes from this place of loyalty, right? Like I love – when I love a book when I read it, I get like so excited and then I tell everyone I know. And now I'm doing this on a bigger scale, but I used to always do this even in my own circles or with my close friends or whatever. Um, and I had just loved that book so much that – it broke my heart when I found out it wasn't true. But still, you know, years later, I, I can still look at it. I mean, I, I just had my son read it at boarding school. I was like, this was one of my old favorite. I realize now it's probably not the most appropriate for him to read, but I had forgotten some of the ins and outs of it. And he was like, that was a little, you know, there were a lot of curse words in that book. And I was like, sorry, sorry, maybe that was a bad idea. Um, but I, I the style of writing was so arresting and compelling and different. And it just, when something either through the story itself or through the form of the story just really gets me in a new way, um, mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's, it's, I don't know, it's a gift that I have to share with somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I like, when I think about that book, I think about what is writing? Why do we read? Yes. Right? Let's put yes. aside the controversy and let's talk about the sentences and the content. And anyway, I was just thrilled to see it was in the book and it came up a couple of times. <laughs> and so, you know, thank you for bringing that back and thank you for including so many other books. So one of the other things I would just love to hear you talk about, cause I know that listeners are going to love this is how you mark time in the book by what you were reading that you remember, right? You can peg those books to the moments in your life. So could you just help us understand how that, how that works in the Zibi universe? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yes. Some, for many moments in my life, I remember what I was reading during a moment and I associate the two intimately. For other moments, I couldn't remember exactly what I was reading then. So I had to go back and Google, like, what were the books of the time? Like, what were people reading? And then I was like, oh, yeah. Okay, that one. That's what I read there. Like, when I went on that trip with that friend, like, that, I, that's when I was reading that book. Like, and so I can remember it that way. But sometimes I do need the trigger. But either way, um, I think that's been an interesting element because people, especially people around my age, plus or minus 10 years, 20 years, well, maybe not 20 years younger, but <laughs> 20 years older, um, who were reading what was popular, sort of zeitgeist fiction and memoir and bestsellers right. and all that stuff. Like we've all consumed that. And there is less, well, it's not less today, but it's almost like we were all watching the same movie for many years through our consumption. And, um, you know, for better or worse, my taste is pretty mainstream, right? I'm not reading esoteric literary works and I probably could be judged for that, but I'm sorry. I read things that a lot of people, I often read things a lot of people also like, um, yeah. which I think is good because then I can pick books that I yeah. know other people will like. Yeah. Um, but 
anyway, but you have a running stream through the book of like, this is what I was reading. And then yeah. you have in the back, the list of all the books. So for anybody listening, there is a list of books, right? As always, it is never always just Zibby. It is <laughs> Zibby plus all of her favorite books and authors and pushing everybody to go out and buy and read these books, which I just love, right? It's your heart. Just it's this huge heart on the page. And uh-huh. yeah. And I love that idea that we were all like, I can remember also what I was doing when I was reading that book. Right. I've yeah. read almost all of them that are on that list. I too. did. I did. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm having a, I'm having a book fair in LA on Saturday where I'm actually selling all the books. So I mentioned in the book. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, so I just want to ask you about one more scene in the book, because I think this is also why um, people are so you know, sort of obsessed with you and what you do is you explain this moment where I think you're at a party or a fundraiser. I don't know what it is. And you're talking to this guy and he says, so what do you do? Right. Which is a, this moment that everybody says, and you already know he's going to say he works at a hedge fund and yeah. you're standing there and you're like, should I say I'm a stay at home mom? Or I do. Right. And you list out the 15 million things you do or whatever. But there's this moment, sort of this pit in your stomach of like, I don't want to say it. And then you say, well, I stay at home with my kids or something. And he says, I work for a hedge fund. And then there's silence. <laughs> right? yeah. and, and you feel this sort of guilt or this moment of like, should I be something else or using my education? Could you just take us into that moment and what you're thinking and what so many women are thinking in that moment? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's such a simplistic question, right? What do you do? And people want one answer. And most of the time people are asking because they don't know what else to talk about or they're, you know, they're socially uncomfortable or they're curious or whatever. Um, But when you go from having a job or being in school to being with the kids, it's so reductive to say, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I mean, I was doing so much at the time. And even – you know, just with the kids, I'm out and about. You're not, nobody is just a stay at home mom, right? You're doing right. a million things. So, um, you know, interestingly, someone interviewed me, a man interviewed me who said, you know, I bet that hedge fund guy felt badly about what he was doing too. Like, you know, it's, it can be hard sometimes to reduce yourself to a stereotype as a guy and whatever that might mean. And maybe he's struggling with being a good dad and all this stuff. I'm like, okay. You know, the point is you don't know what anybody else is ever going through. Um, uh, I was talking to a group of of writers last night and um, this one woman is an aspiring author. And she said that she was crossing the border from Canada and the guard asked her what she did. And she said in front of her two sons that she was a writer and they're like, you're not a writer, mom. What are you talking about? Like you don't work. I know, I know. And she's like, I, I am a writer, even if I'm not a published writer. So um, good for her. Right. Good for her. Um, So anyway, it's hard to define ourselves with one word and live with the judgment of whatever comes next. And, um, and, you know, part of staying home, I felt in part, like, almost like an injured athlete at times, right? Like I had all this, but not potential, but all this like energy, potential energy. Now I'm going to be like a <laughs> science nerd like you. Um, all this like potential energy that I wasn't using. And uh, and where does it go? Right. What, you know, so it goes into other things. It goes to perfecting the kid's schedule. It goes to, you know, the stereotype of the PTA mom, which I never was. Um, but I don't know. I just in that moment, it just summed up a bazillion other moments I've had that were just like that for so many years. I stayed home for 11 years. And um, as someone who went to, you know, very competitive schools and had so much training, how do I not feel like 
I'm waste. Like, was it all a waste? Why was I well educated? Why, why did I take someone's spot? Should someone, you know, here I am, like with the tambourines, you know, but anyway, now I feel like, okay, well, I'm back at work and it was a time period and whatever. So I don't know. We're but all just that doing our best. captured it, right? Right there. You're asking, right? And you're putting those questions out that I think so many women are asking, right? Or afraid to ask. Like, why did I go to that school? Why did I do all this? If I'm sitting here with tambourines in music class, right? right? And I'm nervous about whatever. Like, that was that was it. Um, so I loved that. Um, okay. So one of the things that um, is also amazing about you is I call you, you're one of the people I call it gsd -er. Getting stuff done, right? Oh. <laughs> like you just sit down and do it. And you talk about this too. Like if you have a deadline, you just sit down and do it. You're not distracted. You're not going to be doing 50 million other things. And that's how you do so much. And that you actually get energy from that. That's what makes you feel like you're alive. So for people who have a hard time being GSDers, <laughs> do you have advice or like, you know, wisdom you can share about how to do that? Um, I often do things right away. So if I'm, and maybe it's rude, but like if I'm with you and you say, oh, would you mind connecting me to so-and-so? I'll be like, great, let me do it right now. And I'll literally, I will do it immediately. And you'll be like, oh, you already got that done? And I'm like, yeah, I did it in two seconds because otherwise I'm going to forget. I feel like a lot of what I do is is trying to combat like I actually don't have very good short-term memory and my mind is holding like eight bazillion things at once. And yeah. if I don't do it immediately, I, it might get lost. So my one tip is like, just do it right away. Don't be like, I'm going to come back to this text because like, I'm never going to find it again. Um, uh, I also think, I mean, I have a lot of like, you know, productivity type tips, um, but I but think just like, like your top ones. I mean, that was a great, a great one, you know, like just do it. Just don't sit around thinking about it or telling yourself to do it later. Just get it done. Just do it. And I love that you also talk about you get energy from that, right? Because I feel like you walk away and you're like, yeah, I did it. I did connect those two people, right? Is I get energy from doing lots of things. I was on this podcast yesterday. It's all about modes and how some people are able to switch modes easily and some are not. I'm constantly switching. And that like the more I do that, the more it like – elevates everything else that I'm doing. So I yeah. actually get drained of energy if I just sit and do one task for a long time. If I can go back and forth to like four different tasks, I think this is why it's actually worked out well for me having four kids, even though I never thought I'd be able to manage that. Um, that it, I bring that same thing. It's like, it might sound scattered, but it's not scattered. It's just like it all, it all builds and feeds on itself. Um, yeah. But I will say there are days when I am like tired or sick or something and I'm like, oh my gosh, is this how everybody else feels all the time? <laughs> because <laughs> if so, I would never be able – If so, because I, I think, like, how do I usually operate at that high speed? Right. You know, am I ever going to – what if it's gone? And then, and then I feel better and I get back on my feet and I'm back to normal. Right. Okay, so I need some advice from you. So people ask me all the time, they're like, how do you know what to ask authors when you do your interviews? And I was like – I, I, that's never been a problem for me. I don't know because I love books. And then if I love someone's book, then I love the author, right? And I just have a million questions. So people are always asking me, well, how do I know how to talk to an author? And I never have a good answer for this. So do you have a good answer? How, do you how to talk to an author? Or like oh ask good questions? Because people ask me this all the time and I never know what to say. Oh, I think it's just trying to figure out what their story is. And that can be their book or that can be their life. But I think uh, le being legitimately curious about the author and trying to figure out how they became the person they are and what were the setbacks and what were the things that worked and and 
yeah, just hearing their story. Even if all you say is like, what's your story? You can get so much from that. So I think authors are, are really willing to share advice and feedback because it's never, it's almost never a, a straight route. And yes. it is all you can reliably know about authors is like, there will have been some rejection at some point. They will have tried things. They will have known from an early age that they love to write. Not always, but most of the time. Chances <laughs> are there's some anxiety in their life. Um, there are setbacks. <laughs> you know, I, I can like script some of this. They love to read. They were the kid in the car with the book. They were <laughs> like now it's gotten to the point where I can see friends of my kids and I'm like, that kid over there, she's gonna be a writer. Like I should just take stock <laughs> in that amazing. kid because that's my girl over there. You should come yeah. intern with me. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean that I always find that to be a hard question because I'm like, you just love books. It's very natural. Yeah. Um. So uh, lots of my listeners always wait for uh, my next question for you, which is what advice do you have for new writers? I ask um, everybody this. I actually think that you need to get some early feedback on your level of talent and figure out if what you have is something just for you or something that's like commercially viable. And if it's not, how to bolster your skills. Like I, I, I think people need to have a more realistic sense of like, has anyone told me I'm a good writer ever? Like if no one has ever told you that in your entire life, like the ne your next step should be, okay, then how can I become a better writer? And so I like you need somebody to identify some sort of talent in you. So I would say take stock before you start writing 8 million books, right? Get some feedback. Don't keep sending them to publishers until you've had feedback and get better and better. And you will get better. You will get better if you take a class. You will get better if you practice. You will get better if you share your work. But hiding it and just trying in obscurity and not getting feedback is really going to set you back. I love that. That is unique advice I haven't heard before. And I just, I love that. Um, also, I want to note for people that are listening that Zibby has also been rejected. She has had books rejected, right? For a long time, gone to oh different God. agents. Like we're not looking at this golden story where she just rose up no, out no, no, of no. nothing, right? No. It's very easy, right? No, no, she's saying, right? It's very easy for people to look at this beautiful, shiny book, Bookends and Your Empire, and to say, oh, well, she just, you know, whipped that out. No, no. Many setbacks. And that's what we all face as writers. So... Zibi, thank you so much for joining me. I absolutely am a huge fan of yours. I love this memoir, Bookends, and I hope you sell many, many books. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel.